0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mind Rolling, Raghu Marcus and David Silver. And uh, hi, Dave.
1: Hi.
0: And we've got um, a very special guest today uh, that, uh, you know, Dave and I talk about how to translate and transmit not only our experiences over many years of trying to get our lives straightened out in balance and connected to the one uh, and bringing along teachers and people who can share those experiences in a way that really has a practical application uh, to to where we're at in our culture now not you know in the Buddha's day or even a hundred years ago or whatever we have a very special set of circumstances and uh points of of uh of consciousness that have evolved to where we are now that really sets up uh, uh a real uh, set of uh problems and issues that uh that people uh, are having, and we need to bring to, uh, to these issues something that is convertible to uh, how we can actually deal with this. And so David and I uh, fell upon this book, and it's called What's in the Way is the Way by Mary O'Malley, and, uh, and it seemed at first—and, you know, we're going to be honest, because we're honest, right, Dave— uh, we thought it was maybe going to be too much of a self-help book for us. And so we were like, okay. Uh, but then Dave read it first, and he called me up and he went, listen, whatever bullshit you have in your mind about this, it's wrong. And uh, this book has such a, a varied amount of uh, practical ways in which we can deal with the stuff that is holding us back from um from being whole basically uh, that uh, we need to do this and uh, and then i got onto the train and uh, so you'll hear this uh, wonderful wonderful interview with mary uh, and uh, which I believe can be very helpful for all of us. All yeah, of us. It's helpful not... to me
1: existentially, Rago. I mean, I really. While I was reading it, you know, you have those moments when you just go into the dark for whatever reason, and still keep reading it. And she's so insistent, without being tedious, she just keeps coming back to various methods and ways in which she has learned to pull you back into the light. It's just, it's just a really, really helpful book.
0: Oh, uh, That's yeah. Uh, that's that's real, really true, really true. So we're. Uh, we're happy to present this, but before we do, and we're not going to go crazy here, but we do want to talk to you about the support, which uh, is growing for not only Mind Rolling Podcast here, but also MindPod Network, uh, and we're going to be introducing a new uh, podcaster, teacher on the network, Lama Surya Das, in the next couple of weeks, so we're excited about that because he's... He's uh, he's a special guy and uh, I won't get into because we're going to introduce him in another podcast. Uh, But uh, we do need. uh, So the more podcasters that we have and the more uh, content that we are providing and the more videos that we're trying to put together and the more. Uh, we're trying to put together uh, you know we talk about providing material to help people in their day-to-day lives well Dave and I are working on a a wonderful um I don't even know what we call it Dave an online course it's it's going to be it's really going to be like one of these cultivating films that David and I work on where we're piecing together uh uh excerpts of teachings that uh follow a um, a, a a topic from topic to topic that can elucidate our travails here in... Yeah, the, for
1: instance, uh, like we were talking, Ragu, about Mary's book, which is a, a very, uh, you know, Western-written book, and we were we just absolutely see connections between our, our friend uh, Lama Siltramaglioni's book about feeding the demons, two entirely different cultures right. coming together in parallel lines and crossing about how to deal with the gloom that can come over the gloom the doom and gloom and how to deal with it and how to make it into some kind of a light force and and those two people those two women are very different kinds of people but completely. they're
0: completely really, and they, yeah. yeah it's really wild and so that's what we love doing is so going to be doing that right yeah, we're, 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 but putting, we need your help we need your support to be able to do that it requires uh, all sorts of research and editing and we've got to hire this person and that person uh we're we're, we've got a lot of work ahead of us so uh the way that you can support is obviously through the amazon portal uh, on uh, uh, mindrollingpodcast.com or just go to the mindpod network uh, and, uh, just bookmark that we don't want to, we belabored that so much, uh, that we don't want to belabor it anymore. What we want to do is, is, uh, by the way, you can go just do donate button. If you do like even like five bucks recurring a month, it will go a long way. 10 bucks would be better. It'll go a long way to really, really helping the whole network out to keep expanding what we're doing. But what we really want to do is, is, um, recommendations and uh, here's one you don't even know about this okay this is the norton anthology of world religions okay it's a two-part anthology that includes texts of hinduism buddhism and taoism so you can see just where these things these uh religions or uh, originated and how they they really uh integrate with each other in some ways uh And, um, it's a, it's an amazing book and it caught my eye because it has this, uh, picture of, 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 uh, uh, from 17th century India. It's such a cool thing with the God Krishna with the serpent King, uh, Kalia. And, uh, and here's, um, here is, a poem that I love, Dave. Can I just say this little poem? It comes from the book. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it first appears to be a secular love poem, but it's also a cry of longing addressed to uh, an incarnation of Vishnu, who is also Ram and Krishna. What use is ecstasy without the agony of separation? Shade is nothing without the burning sun. What is patience without the fury of passion? Why make anything love or poetry if two can't be one? How about that? Is that that fantastic? Norton Anthology of World Religions, and the volume one is out. It's edited by Jack Miles and Wendy Doniger, and whoa, Donald S. Lopez Jr. and James Robinson. Uh, Robeson rather and it's illustrated and the illustrations are fantastic uh, and uh, uh, the volume two is Judaism, Christianity and Islam so you get the whole nine yards with both these volumes um, and uh Go up to Amazon and get it, because this is a conversation piece, folks. I mean, you see that little poem? You could read that poem, show the picture. Is really fantastic. All right, your <laughs> turn next. You recommend something. Oh,
1: okay. Um, I, 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 they're, they're books. A book that I've read now, I think, three times is a book called Initiation. Simply, Initiation. It's by a woman called Elizabeth H. That's H-A-I-C-H. Elizabeth uh, was one of the very first real yoga teachers in Europe back in the 20s and 30s, and uh, a, a very esteemed woman uh, by the yoga community in, in, in Europe at that time and now. But this book is a novel initiation. It's a novel of reincarnation. Really? I never heard a, You never told me about it. What do you, well, I've been reading it for years, and I, you know, I keep things to myself so I can talk about them and sound erudite. Uh, So, I didn't tell you, so you wouldn't be able to sound erudite as well. Right. (laughs) It's not true. Uh, But anyway, I've been reading this book for years. Who who wrote it? Who wrote it? Elizabeth H. H A I C H. Elizabeth H. It's a marvelous book. It goes back to uh, Egyptian times and everything, but it's not just a a book about reincarnation, it's a book about the transmission of wisdom through reincarnation. Hmm. And it's a book that you can read a million times because you forget it's so dense mm. and so thick and so exciting. It's not a, mm. a dry book. Elizabeth H. wrote a book that is really fabulous. And uh, at one point you couldn't get it, but I checked and it's, it's on Amazon now. And you can get it in wow. paperback. It's not very expensive, but it's a fabulous book. And the other thing I want to recommend are the Ramayana novels uh, oh, by yeah. Ashok Banker, yeah. which are also available on Amazon. There are actually eight volumes uh, I would recommend the first six volumes, uh, which are actually in book form. The last two volumes are in Kindle form. And uh, How uh, weird. not really quite as gripping, to be honest, as the first six. But, you know, we all try and struggle with these ancient um, epic Uh, tales of wisdom and and so on. And sometimes it can be a bit difficult, you know, in the poetry form, whatever. Ashok Banker, who's a a prominent Indian novelist, very well-selling one, kind of makes of it a much more uh, accessible thing. I'm sure that scholars say things about it, oh, it's not that great, and it, it popularizes it. All I know is that Rama and Sita and Ravana and most of all Hanumanji came alive for me when I was reading these books in in India a couple of years ago, I went to four different bookstores in Delhi to get them all and almost killed myself in the 100-degree heat to find them all. (laughs) And now you can get them on Amazon. You don't have to go through that. You don't have to go go to
0: India now. You don't have to go to Delhi, which is the Uh, most polluted city in in the world, by the way. Uh, Amazon. We love Amazon. Uh, Yeah, Just
1: go to our portal and look for the Ramayana. By Ashok A. S. H. O. K. Banker, as in banker. So uh, check them out. I'm just recommending those two things, okay? Uh, because I, I love these two these two objects of of wisdom and 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 excitement too. It's, it's it's a thrill reading these these things.
0: By the way, you can also go to the site and uh, get a free trial to Am uh, to Audible, rather, Audible.com, uh, and. Uh we uh since we're out of time here on our little intro because we want to make everything we don't want to belabor the point Uh, but but please those those are the several different ways uh that you can go and support mind rolling podcast as well as mind pod network with all of those other other wonderful peeps that we have as part of our gang here so uh, dave uh, no further ado yeah
1: Just enjoy the next, our podcast about to come, it is number 100.
0: Wow, here we go. Hi, this is Raghu Marcus with David Silver, my partner in Mind Rolling, and we have a very special guest today, Mary O'Malley. Mary, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, so glad to be with you guys today.
0: Um... And David, uh, I want you to do the introductions for this wonderful book that Mary has written.
1: Oh, I'd, be, I'd be delighted to. Um, the book we're referring to is not the only book Mary's written, but it's a book called What's in the Way is the Way. And it has a foreword, by the way, by Neil Donald Walsh and recommendations by some of the people that we call low-hanging fruit on our podcast, <laughs> Sharon Salzberg's of the world, which is uh, a credit indeed because... Uh, these people are very precise and careful about who they endorse, as we know. The book is uh, a, an existential thrill for me. Uh, it, and the, the title is the most amazingly accurate title uh, you could ever have. I mean, if you don't, if you read the book and forget it all, which I sometimes do forget whole books, uh, you can't forget the point, which is what's in the way is the way. And I hope that's what we're going to talk about today mainly because it is such a brilliant thesis. It's not a thesis. It's a a heart wisdom entry into how to overcome some of the things that we have had no control over, stuff that happened to us in our childhood, uh, mainly, and sticks in there and becomes what Mary brilliantly calls spells, spells. And um, I I would like uh, you to start, Mary, uh, by we do this because we, we think it's important for our listeners to get a more rounded picture of, of those that we, we were honored to talk to about uh, the beginnings of this, uh, not this book, but the beginnings of, of your changes and, and what factors in your life are uh, brought about the ability to articulate these incredibly lucid ideas and prompts mm-hmm. for people. So if you could go back a little bit, we'd appreciate that.
2: Oh, thank Maybe you. Maybe when
0: you were a teenager. Yeah. Let's Maybe go we'll all the way go back
2: a little bit further back. Okay. <laughs> you know, I had that uh kind of childhood that you wouldn't want to uh go back to, you know, at all. And uh I just started sliding down into ever deepening realms of darkness and my mother started me on a psychiatrist when i was 10 and uh and that led to uh, oh psychologist and hypnotherapist and group therapy and mental hospitals and when i was 23 i uh i hit rock bottom that year i gained 97 pounds in a year all the while i was washing a lot of it down with alcohol and taking every single drug i could get my hands on because i didn't know how to be with the pain that I took on as a soul. And, uh, so the next year I tried to kill myself three times. And the last time I was in, and this is such a great metaphor. I was in a windowless bedroom in a basement apartment, trying to slit my wrists. You know, I didn't know you slit up and I had such a huge, uh, revulsion attack you know i was i I was not only a failure at life i was a failure at suicide and that's when i asked my first open-ended question and i really believe so strongly in questions uh i am a question that my life is a question it's this don't know opening space and i said if i can't get out of this what is this all about And a few months later, a uh, man, I can still remember him, at the doorway into this windowless bedroom brought a book called The Transparent Self. And a few months later, a man called Joel Kramer, who was one of the first people who really brought yoga to uh, the United States, he came up to the Seattle area And my mother was going to go and see him and she couldn't. And she said, would you be willing to go? And it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, yeah, maybe. And I showed up in that room and my life changed from a B grade black and white grainy horror movie to a Dolby surround sound, technicolor, Panavision movie. And I couldn't tell you what he said. All I knew was I was hearing truth. So, um, The third time he came up from uh, California, I took in a reel-to-reel tape deck, it dates me a bit here, and recorded the whole weekend. And I went home and I transcribed the whole weekend. And that was my sacred, sacred friend, you know, the place that I would go to when all the darkness would, would come and take over again. And then my house and my store burnt to the ground. I lost everything. But that book was what I grieved. And Joel came up one last time and I said, I want to tell you what is the core that I am hearing that you are offering. And he said, "Okay." And there was two parts to this. The first part was in the seeing is the movement. And he said, yes, I got from him. There was nothing to fix, nothing to change. There was nothing. There was there was no problem there was just parts that needed consciousness. They needed my attention into my immediate experience. And then I said, the second half of it uh, is until the observer and the observed become one. And I say to him, what do you mean by that? And he was a great teacher. He said, go find out <laughs> <laughs> and that that started me on this whole journey. But, He did not really teach it with heart. And it wasn't until, I mean, I I remember Be Here Now came out and it was my Bible and oh my God, you know, and I saw Ramdas as many times as I could. But from Ramdas, I heard about Stephen Levine and I read Grist for the Mill and oh my God. And I began to spend as much time as I could. With Stephen, and the first workshop I did with him, uh, they had uh, tapes out of it. And I literally wore those tapes out every morning. I would go take a walk and hang out with Stephen. And he taught me how to meet my immediate experience with heart. And then out of that comes all the books.
0: Mm -hmm. How old were you then, Mary?
2: Uh, When I met Stephen, I was 39. Wow. Wow. And just ripe and ready. And, you know, he would come to Seattle. He would be sold out months in advance. There'd be 600 of us in that room with him. And it would be like sitting around a coffee table with your best friends. Hmm. It was just so, so nourishing. And that's what we need to hear is that there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing that needs to be fixed. There is a lot of spells, as David uh Uh, talked about. I love the word spells because spell is something that's laid over the top of you. It's not true and it can be lifted. And anything that contracts you is a spell. I used to believe that all of my spells were real and true, you know, uh, especially fear and especially extreme self-judgment. I mean, uh, that was my God. My God was extreme self judgment. And slowly and surely, I learn how to meet all these parts of myself with awareness and mercy.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yes. yes. Hmm. Oh, Raga, you go, because it's <laughs> hard to follow that. You know?
0: <laughs> well, I do love this. This I love that word spells, and I've never associated it the way that you have um because it it really does you know it's like that song i put a spell on you
2: yes right? yes and <laughs> that's our theme song
0: <laughs> really that is our theme song and has been <laughs> um yeah. yeah so well let's just talk about you know the, some of the concepts that get um that get imposed on us as right. children that yes. i mean you know we come into this incarnation You see, I, I just, uh, I have a a new granddaughter and she's about six Mm -hmm. months old now. And and Mm -hmm. my son Mm -hmm. sent her picture to me. It's this completely wide open heart. There's nothing there. It's like being with, with my guru, Nimkaroli Baba, that same thing, just absolute, no duality, no, um, asking for anything. It's just pure. And, um, And we know, let's talk about the spells, this poor little thing's going to get imposed on her.
2: But as a part of her journey, you know, and so I think the best way to describe it is that the metaphor that I use at the beginning of the book, the meadow metaphor. And I just loved when this came and I love metaphors because a picture is worth a thousand words. Imagine the most exquisite meadow and everything flows in that meadow every day into night, winter into spring, you know, the light waves flow, sound, water, everything flows. And the noble fir does not wish it was a maple and the marmot does not stay, you know, underground because it's afraid of dying. It's all life and it's all openness to life, just like You're talking about your granddaughter. We lived in that place where there was no story about life. I love to say there was a time where there were no thoughts in your head. and People go, wow, what an interesting idea that we were just simply life available to life. But our parents, they had taken on the spells, the spell of fear the spell of not enoughness, the spell of loneliness, the spell of helpless, hopeless despair. And so they had left themselves. So they didn't know how to connect with ourselves and they wounded us. They gave us what I call the sacred wounds of abandonment and invasion. So imagine the clouds in the sky, they begin to start lowering and they whirl and swirl around your head. And you can no longer see the meadow. You can no longer connect with who you really are because you are caught in this world of spells. You're caught in what I call the struggling self. The key to this metaphor, you've never left the meadow. You just think you have. And so there's eight core spells. And and if you're Uh, listeners would like that list and they're not interested in getting the book, just email me and I will send them Mm -hmm. because we, we, I did it with my groups for uh, a couple of years, these eight core spells, and then listed under each one is how many of us speak this spell to ourselves. And it, I used to ask people, uh, go into the list of spells and just check off what Uh, you recognize that your storyteller talks about, and most people come back and said, I checked off every single one of all these sub-spells. And so it's a very powerful thing to begin to understand that we're all caught in this cloud bank of struggle, and it's not who we are.
0: But in a practical sense, it is what we are confronted with in that we absolutely take on all of this. Uh, We take on expectations from our parents. We take on uh, their lost hopes and desires. We take on their health problems. Uh, We take on so much stuff. Yeah. And although, yes, ultimately we are not that, but uh, we I, th- I believe we need uh, solutions, right. uh, actionable things that we can do to, um, to transform this. So talk about yes. that a little bit.
2: Yeah, it is uh, in the, each chapter. There's 11 chapters. The last chapter is the Song of the Heart, which I absolutely love. But the first 10 chapters, they have at the end of each one what is called the Remembering Section. What we do is we we have absorbed all of this unconsciousness from our parents and they absorbed it from their parents and they absorbed it from their parents. But there's something very wonderful that's happening on this planet that more and more of us are beginning to be curious about what is going on inside of us rather than always trying to make our peace and our happiness dependent upon what is happening out here. You know, I get more money, I get, lose weight, I get a, a perfect mate, so on and so forth. We begin to understand that life is for us, that each one of us took on a piece of this craziness, of this unconsciousness, and then we get lost in it. And then life, every single moment of our lives, There's only one of two things that are happening. The first is, life is inviting us into this moment, just like your granddaughter experiences life right now. Or, life is putting us in the situations to help us see our particular brand of spells. And in this remembering sections, you slowly and surely, you discover how to strengthen the muscle of your curiosity Because it's a big change when you can go from, oh my God, I'm so anxious. You know, my boss wants a, a meeting later on today. I don't know what that's about. To, oh, anxiousness is here. That's the first step the ability to be curious about what is going on and bringing your attention to it. And the next step, which we develop further down into the remembering section is how to open your heart, which which a lot of people misunderstand. It is not about this mushy place. The heart is our main brain. And this, this brain that we ran away to because we had to shut down our heart when we were young and shut down our belly brain, our, our knowing brain when we were young. If you watch this brain up in your head, it's dualistic. It likes this, it doesn't like that, it thinks this is good, that is bad, this is right, that is wrong. That's the game of struggle. The heart is inclusive. And Stephen's definition, Stephen Levine's definition of healing is the the when i came across it in reading um healing into life and death many many years ago it is just you know if i ever had a tattoo i would tattoo this you know right by my heart healing is bringing awareness and mercy into that which we have held in judgment and in fear mm. And, think, and that clears the cloud
1: I, I think that what you just said, <clears throat> you know, plus another thing, is the healing within the book, which is that you don't have to fix anything. You say that repeatedly, and I know you yes, do that yes. for a reason. That yes. you, you don't have to move somewhere. You don't have to move even within yourself. All you have to do is do the mindfulness that's necessary uh, yes. to find that witness to look at your own demons. And And what I found very refreshing, not refreshing, cancel that word, what I found <laughs> penetrating and and extremely helpful. Because we're all going through this all the time. As you oh, said, it's just about. forever. We're just dealing with these yeah. thoughts, with the storyteller, as you exactly. put it. And it's a storyteller that's a bit of a, he's a he, he or she is, is, a, is a, a very cunning <laughs> creature because okay. we think it's us. We right? think that's us talking. <laughs> yeah. And when it says to us, you're really a piece of shit, you really are. You just were angry with that person for no reason. You didn't answer that letter. Right. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. And we think that's us talking to us and we get, get further and further into this vortex of self-hatred. Yeah. You say, no, no, no. If you find out, witness, and thank goodness you are in a, a, a wonderful group of people who are investigating and articulating this all at the same time. Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg, Ram Dass, many others, Eckhart Tolle, so on. Right. We're saying if you're in the present... If you're truly in the present and you learn how to be in the present, that storyteller has to take a walk.
2: Yeah. And again, yeah.
1: it's not you fixing the story. It's a storyteller because you give it that storyteller love as well. Yeah. And you yeah. say, I welcome you. I welcome you yeah. because you are the wound, the sacred wound, that Yikes. opened you up to understand what the universe is yeah. about. So yeah. in other words, you're not making judgments and putting down these things that happened to you, including one's parents. You're saying you were the doorway to being... Comfortable with discomfort, for instance, which you say all the time. I'd actually like you to talk a bit more about that, which is the business of dealing with one's own specific and spectacular, usually suffering inside your head. How do you do that? How does someone listen to this right now? There's got to be one person right now listening to this who's saying, oh, man, this is all nice and everything, but I'm just I'm just suicidal. Yeah, I'm in despair. I like this podcast, but it may be the last one I listen. You know, how do you get directly to that person with these incredible notions that you've put on paper here?
2: Right. Yeah, I think a good example is that I took on dread. It was it was one of my main experiences of life. And dread is this feeling of just, oh, my God, something really horrible is going to happen. And it's going to happen because I did something wrong. And it's deep in the belly. And it's it's almost like when it would come, it's almost like uh, being shoved into a uh, thousand mile elevator shaft. And you know that at some time you're going to splat, you know, on the ground it's just and so that's why i gained 97 pounds in a year and was taking every drug i could get my hands on and because i didn't know how to be with that and when it would come and i would tighten down around it then i would drop into what i call my no way out place the helpless hopeless despair and that's why i tried to kill myself three times you you can't live in that kind of state for very long without wanting some relief from it. And the only relief I could figure out was to either eat it away, drink it away. And when that didn't work, try to kill myself. But it took me a while, but as soon as I, I got, Oh, in the seeing is the movement that I could bring my attention into my media experience. I had to start with baby steps, absolute baby steps. And that's why the remembering section is so powerful We start with just a few minutes a day that you begin to bring your attention into your media experience. Maybe we just do it with drinking your morning cup of tea and you begin to notice that you are there with this, the smell of it and the taste of it. And then all of a sudden you're gone and you're gone for five minutes and you're planning the rest of the day. If you cannot judge that, You can see, oh, the storyteller has taken over. And you can see there's a difference between being here for the experience of life and actually being lost in stories about life. Then when you add heartfulness, because this work is about mindfulness and heartfulness, when you begin to discover that there's nothing, nothing, nothing inside of you to be ashamed of or afraid of that you just absorb this stuff from your parents and they from their parents. And Stephen once said uh, that, he said, you know, I'm gonna create a hat. And when you put it on your head, it's gonna instantaneously broadcast over a loudspeaker all of your thoughts. (laughs) The room I was in, there was 200 people in that room at that moment. And there was this collective groan that (laughs) moved throughout the room. And he said, no, no. He said you would know so much freedom because you would discover we're all caught in this same place that, as David said earlier, we think it is ourselves. Hmm. Well, as I, life, develop my curiosity and develop my heart, which I also like to use the word spaciousness because that's really the activity of the heart. You know, uh, yes, it's inclusion, but it's spaciousness slowly and surely, it's almost like, you know, with my, eye, my hands over my eyes and I would just kind of peek out, I began to go towards dread. I began to be able to find it in my body. And the night that I actually was finally, for the first time in my life, with the experience of dread, No story, no wanting it to be different than what it is, but actually my attention and that immediate experience together. I woke up, there it was, the middle of the night, and my first thought was, let's go eat something. And I said to that part, that is, I call it a protector. I would not have lived if I didn't have the ability to numb this level of pain that I took on. And I said to that part, because it was Carl Jung that said, you know, we're made up of all these parts, you know, and what I add, each one of them has a particular view of the world. And as you begin to be able to be to stand with these parts, well, it I had to stand with a lot of different parts before I got to the place where I could be with dread. And I said to the protector, the eater, well, that's okay. You need to do that. We can go do that but you know, this is not going to go away and it's going to come back again sometime. So why don't we be with it? And that part said, oh, okay. And it was almost like, you know, uh, you know if you're going into a room, that's really smelly. You, you, you uh, uh, close off your nostrils. It was that kind of feeling of, oh yes. But all of a sudden that it was no longer dread. It was just bound up energy. And I was fully with it and it literally transformed into joy because it's just bound up energy. And that's who we truly are. We are that innocence, that aliveness in your granddaughter. We are the meadow that flows. We have just separated out from it. And our job is learning how to, in a way, dissolve, although That's not quite right, because it's not, I am not the one that is dissolving these pockets of bound up energy, these spells. It is literally, I am coming there, giving them my attention so they can let go.
0: I think attention is an important word here uh, relative to whoever's uh, listening to this podcast. And as David uh, kind of suggested before, we do really love to share what we're sharing with various uh, teachers and people and writers. Um, Their experience translated in a way that can really be usefully, practically applicable. Yes in someone's day-to-day lives. And um, and I would just suggest when, when you're talking about bringing attention, I think for everybody out there, I mean, this just occurs to me because I know it for my own life, that it is absolutely the first probable pre- prerequisite to doing anything like this kind of work or any spiritual work is being able to get one-pointed. To not have your mind uh, be so discursive that you cannot bring your attention to anything. It's one of the reasons why mindfulness has become such a big deal out there in in the culture now and in in the business world. Because, wow, we bring our attention to one point, we'll be way more effective. And as a stockbroker, we'll make more money and all that, which is all true. Uh, But the reality is that until you can bring your mind to that one point, it is very difficult to bring real attention to, uh, in this case, what you're talking about and and how you're naming it, these spells that we have been under. So I just wanted to throw that in because I think it's terrifically important. And, of course, we presented it in many different ways with other people in these podcasts around mindfulness particularly joseph goldstein who uh by the way folks uh please do get uh, I'm, I'm, we're pushing mary's book here uh and we also have to talk about joseph goldstein because it totally fits in with what mary's work right. is and his right. book is uh mindfulness simply uh, a fantastic book so yes
2: yeah we're beginning to really open to the most powerful tool we have as awakening beings and that is the power of our attention and uh in those uh 10 years between when joel came into my life and Stephen came into my life i was a part-time meditator and golly darn i just you know i was a failure at meditation again and then one day Stephen said if you Meditate for an hour and come back to your focus one time in that hour. That is time well spent. Mm. Why? Because that is a moment of consciousness. Your attention and your immediate experience are together. And that's why in the remembering section, we start with just a few minutes a day. And I really developed that fact. Well, you know, it's actually kind of good that you do wander away because then you get to strengthen the muscle of your attention when you come back. Right. And so, so I've meditated every day for decades now, and it is a process of, uh, in fact, I, I, I am letting go of even calling it meditation because meditation is like the word God. It oftentimes has all this stuff around it, but I oftentimes just call it a listening practice or a returning practice, that it is the process of giving yourself the most powerful gift you can give your own attention. But we're afraid of this. We're afraid. We want it more than we could possibly imagine, and we're afraid of it. So that's why I did the remembering section, so people can have a guide.
1: You know, uh, for anyone out—thank you for that, Mary— Anyone out there who thinks this is a a new age book that you can just superimpose on yourself, just like all the other ones, let me just say something. One of the things you say, Mary, in this book, which which really deeply imprinted on my heart, you make a a whole there's a whole piece in the book about just thinking positively is not enough. No, And, and you know, there are all those books, I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay, you know, George Bush <laughs> is okay, etc. And the fact is, Bush. you articulate extremely well in the book, and, and quite, you know, with a, a knife-edge clarity. That, you know, just to say, I'm going to think good thoughts, I'm going to think good thoughts, it'll all work out. And then you say, in the book, people said to you, you know, I did that, I did that, it didn't work. <laughs> and then you go on to articulate Why? Mm -hmm. That alone is not going to solve your problems Mm -hmm. because, again, it's a question of that word. I'm fixing it. I'm mending it. Could you explain more about that? that
2: (laughs) You're you're still up in your head. It's a very, very important part. It can be a very important part for people to uh, kind of uh, uh, calm down this very neurotic, a uh, drama-trauma-based, fear-based, glued-together-with-judgment storyteller that is in our head. It's nice to have a little bit nicer storyteller, but believe you me, thinking positively didn't make an impact on my storyteller at all because life was saying, that's management. Management is important, but all lasting healing happens in engagement in the ability to relate to what the storyteller is talking about or the sensations in your body, rather than from it. And if we're always trying to make this all better, we can't really fully be with what the better addiction is trying to take care of inside of us. And that's where engagement comes Hmm.
0: Um, there's this uh, one quote uh, what fuels the struggles of the storyteller in our heads there is one simple word that sums it all up fear most people most of the time are caught in a low grade fear that at times can flare into anxiousness insecurity and even full-blown terror i think that uh this is probably the most crucial part of that quote-unquote storyteller uh it is uh uh, in the old days when we were in india and ramdas and a few of us we were we would talk about fear because we were we were uh in such a transparent place in terms of um there wasn't anything hidden in those minds sitting around this being um and in fact, you—you you, you of course alluded uh, before uh, to that Stephen Levine. Hey, let's everybody—if we could all have our thoughts out there, kind of thing. Well, that happened to us, and famously, of course, Ramdas, when he first met Neem Karoli Baba, he um, and he—it was indicated through his uh, this uh, his mother's death and so on and so forth that uh, right. Mah- Maharaj knew everything. And then as he as he, uh, sat down and digested that he then thought to himself, Holy shit. If he knows that he knows everything. <laughs> and there, and Ram Dass talked about, there was at least 10 or 12 things that I would not want <laughs> anyone to know. And we've all got a uh, 10 or 12 things, but in all of that, this happened to all of us and it was all transparent. So it was very freeing and very fortunate, uh, for that to happen. But, uh, Talk a little bit, because I mean, the antidote to, to this fear is, in my mind, is a, is a, is a faith. And I don't I'm, we're not talking about, again, it's a lousy word that connotes just like meditate, uh, mindfulness or meditation as you were speaking before. But this word is a tough word, uh, but I, I, if we could even talk about it in terms of trust, Exactly. Just a little bit of trust. And, and you talk about yeah. it here, uh, you know, that there's an amazing intelligence that that permeates and penetrates the flow Everything. of life. And, yes. and having a little bit of trust, and, and uh, that turns into, of course, in, in the Bhakti tradition in, in India, into faith. Uh, yeah. That is the antidote. So Ram Dass used to walk around at that time and say, faith no fear, faith no fear so, yeah. <laughs> so that's that was a little cute uh, aphorism of his but yeah talk about uh, that as an antidote to uh, fear and, and that trusting, I mean trusting thing is so
2: important I think it, it is our natural state but it is the core state of this separate self, this self that is conditioned inside of us that feels separate from life And it's the first spell is I am separate from life. And the second spell is life is not safe. That's not true. That's not true at all. And so we we um, uh, live in so much fear and we're not even aware of it. Oh, my God. You know, we're afraid that our hair doesn't look good or we're afraid that the you know, the, the length of the stoplight, you know, is is too long. Stephen tells a story once that he was doing a meditation retreat and he had one of those sits where everything was as clear as a bell, you know, and then the bell rang at the end. And his mind said, oh, you did that really well. (laughs) And he saw that as fear. You can't talk fear out of its world. But what you can do is begin to notice that there's something going on here other than your storyteller. We get back to the cup of tea, you know, and there's birds singing as you're sitting on your front porch and there's, you know, cars going by and the earth is dancing, you know, through vast oceans of space. You begin to notice there's something going on here other than your story about it. And as you begin to uh, bring attention and spaciousness to fear something begins to open up just a little bit and you begin to see for example that one time you were one cell that was so tiny you couldn't see it with the naked eye and yet it developed into 70 trillion cells 70 trillion That all work together really well without a thought from us. When was the last time you digested your food? And they work a heck of a lot better than the 7 billion people on this planet. What is it that does that? What is it that heals the cuts on our skin that keeps the planet spinning as they do? I sat for many years with Jack Cornfield down in the high mountain desert before Spirit Rock uh, um, showed up. And I can still remember the, the retreat where I had explored enough of the judgment and the fear that I began to notice life is a dance. And here were 125 people and you just saw how, how the dance of meeting people and, and not ever meeting this person and all that. You begin to see that there's something smarter than you in charge Of your life. And it's almost like the blinders come off. And the more you are here, the more you see something that's so important. And that is that this intelligence isn't just in charge of the earth and of your body and of the planets, but you see that it is absolutely in charge of the dance of your daily life. You begin to trust it. You don't necessarily have to like it, but you begin to trust it. And in one fell swoop, as I was writing this book, came this little saying, I absolutely love. Life is set up to bring up what has been bound up so it can open up to be freed up so you can show up for life. And it is a An amazing thing, when you come out of the struggling self enough, you've seen it enough with awareness and mercy, your fear, your loneliness, your despair, your self-hate, that you begin to come into life. It is an adventure. You realize that absolutely everything is for you. Now, we can't talk this into the fear-based mind. Our job is to meet it. So it can soften a bit and see that we really, truly are not alone.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Sorry, Rock. Um, I I was going to say that I made a a film called Beyond Life, The Life and Death of Timothy Leary. And I I sat with Tim for a large part in the last six weeks of his life. mm. I remember one thing very distinctly. There were many things. There was one time when there were about five of us in the room, including his son. And he was deathly at this point. His cancer had spread all over. His limbs were black. I've never seen anyone with black skin all over his body. And he took great pride in showing me this, (laughs) typically Timothy Leary. And there was a certain kind of gloom in the room. Uh, You know, the kind of gloom that happens when someone is passing. And Timothy sat, shut up in his bed and he said, stop it stop it don't you realize that i'm about to enter something which you guys are not entering yet i think it's a great adventure and there was gleam in his eyes and you knew when timothy was being serious because he could be quite cutting as you know and he said i just think this is incredible i'm going somewhere i don't know about everywhere else i know know how to get to beverly hills i know how to get to my car i know how to get to your house i know how to read einstein I don't know what's going on here. What a great thing. It's like getting on a plane and flying to a place you don't know where you're going. And he was full of light. And Timothy Leary was not your typical spiritual person. Ask around us, he'll tell you. And I knew that because I spent a lot of time with him. And at that moment, something opened in me, which is Mm. how a great teacher works, really. Yes. Uh, You know, Tim was not a perfect person any more than anyone us was. But he was a truthful person about his own perceptions. Yes. He opened it up for me. And it was that moment that transferred fear and made fear into... You could talk about fear being all over the place, but you 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 use this word, which I love, called noticing. And for those out there, uh, the way Mary spells noticing is K-N-O-W-T-I-C-I-N-G, no to sing. Right. And you're saying uh, you have to notice. And then I just want to finish this rant with a little quote you did, which is a great one from Einstein, Mm -hmm. not a small mind there and not a small heart apparently Mm -hmm. you cannot solve a problem from the same consciousness that created it right you must learn to see the world anew and that seems to be one of the keys to your teaching what can i say your teaching mechanism that the way you taught me when i was reading the book was to keep opening it up and saying notice pay attention and be curious Yes. uh, This whole thing that I just said, I guess what I'm really asking you is for, again, for our listeners, how do you notice? How do you know? How do you notice? How do you do that? uh, Not through meditation, but through a consistent, steady approach to these spells to dispel them.
2: Right, right. It is at, at least allowing in For just a moment, the truth that your natural state is free-flowing aliveness. You are life. You are the flow of life. And we were young, we tightened. We learned how to hold on to our breath, to tighten our body, and we ran away to this separate conditioned self that is always trying to do life and do it right. It just wants control. What we don't understand is the yin and yang symbol. To me, it is one of the most powerful symbols on this planet. Here is dark and light. They are not on opposite sides of a line. They are actually nestled together. And in the dark is a point of light. And in the light is a point of dark. So a really, uh, uh, to me, a huge part of coming back to life is becoming what I call a tightness detective. (laughs) That you begin to have enough of this sense of what it's like to not be holding on at all, to be relaxing into this dance, this exquisite dance called life, that you begin to become more attuned when you tighten. Some people, they do it through their bodies. Some people, they can see it more through their minds or their emotions. But that's where you begin to become absolutely fascinated. You start going towards discomfort rather than away from it. There's a wonderful uh, metaphor that I have is that, and I'll try to do it very quickly. uh, You hear that in the cave high in the mountains, in your land are treasures. And by God, you, you know, go to the gym and you go to, you know, the the store and buy all these new equipment and everything. And it takes you years to get up there. And you finally walk in the cave and sure enough, there's a pile of rubies, a pile of diamonds, a pile of emeralds, and a pile of gold. And you think, oh my God, I got it. You know, and you stuff your backpack full of it and you take these down. And each of those, you take them down into your life and each of those represents something that you think that if you had it, then everything would be just fine, like deep meditative experiences or a perfect mate or perfect health or you know, a great job, whatever. And 20, 30 years later, you're sitting dejected, you know, and you think, oh my God, you know, this hasn't worked. And you hear this little voice in your mind that says, the treasure is still in the cave. So by God, now you go to Weight Watchers because you've gained weight because you've been doing all this whining and dining. And you, you go to REI and you get new equipment and new classes. And eventually you get up there and you walk into the cave. You don't see anything. And you search the cave high and low. And you sit down again and you're dejected. And a voice inside of you says, the treasure's here. And you look around and you see this lusted lump of of something. Well, yeah, that was in the center of the circle of the diamonds, rubies, emeralds, and gold. Could that be the key? Oh, no, that's not. Well, what have I got to lose? You go over and you pick it up and your perception completely changes. You see it is a rusted key. And you see that you've always been trying to find your peace and happiness somewhere else And you begin to understand that discomfort is where the doorway is. Remember the story about my dread. Yes, it took me a while to strengthen the muscle of my aware heart to go and stand with this dread. But that's where the keys are in what we don't like. Uh, Al Drucker, when I was on the staff of the School of Natural Healing in Santa Cruz all those many years ago, said the doorway to who you truly are is guarded by the states you most don't want to be with. Mm -hmm. So discomfort is our guide. The separate self says, no, 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 no. Well, I almost died trying to do that. And so this, so much of this work is an invitation back into what life is offering you. And oftentimes the keys are in the
0: uncomfortable mm. this is we just did a thing and go back to ramdas uh, david just edited uh, a film that we did and it opens up one of these they're called cultivating films uh on ramdas.org and uh ramdas starts out i love suffering it yes! brings me closer to god yes! can you hear that he goes and of course everybody in the room goes no no not right. at all That's, you know, and, and again, these, these are, these are all words and they lead you to some idea that there is a way to transform yourself. On the other hand, uh, it's about practice. You have to practice. We all have to practice and, uh, we can't live, uh, in a place that, that is, uh, you know, not where we are. We can't, uh, the, the uh, thinking that we are somewhere that we're not, um, you know, fooling ourselves is, is, uh, is as um, much part of the storytelling that we do with ourselves can be, and it's part of the spell that uh, we later put on ourselves when we get into the spiritual guise, so to speak. Time. Yeah.
2: Big time, big time, thousands of years I mean, when I woke up in the 60s, we were going to nirvana. We were going to unending orgasmic bliss. Mm. And we were going to kill thought, you know. And I was such a horrible failure at it, thank God. But that's how deeply it can, uh, you know, fool us. But I keep on reminding myself, this is the divine also. And to me, this struggling self are like weights on the weight machine of life and that each one of us have taken on the exact kind and right amount of suffering for, to become the fuel for our coming back to life. And I think the only other thing I want to say here is that I have changed discipline to discipleship. That it, if you go into this kind of work with, oh my God, I've got to do this, it won't. It, it, it won't open anything. But discipleship, there becomes this passion. You begin to realize there's something else going on here other than my storyteller. And it's called home. And I like what Evan Alexander, the neuroscientist from Harvard, who had a uh, uh, near-death experience. He was uh, had uh, um, the uh, spinal meningitis, and he was in a coma for seven days. And the first thing that he said when he woke up, and he doesn't remember this, is all is well (laughs) but when he was asked to describe what happened to him when he was in what he calls the gateway he doesn't call it heaven he calls it the gateway uh he said well you can't put it into words but i if i did i would say this love is the reality of all realities the incomprehensibly wondrous truth that lies at the heart of everything that has ever existed or ever will exist. So we're homesick. You know, I'm looking out this beautiful window. I'm not seeing trees. I'm seeing the expression of love. It's all made out of light. And more and more of us now are coming home.
0: Home, which is the theme really of uh, Ramdas and all of us that uh, had that encounter, uh, because uh, we're doing a book, Mary, and that book is the people who bumped into Ramdas late 60s, early 70s. Uh, and not just through Ramdas, but other people who managed to find their way to India at that time, and their story of meeting Ninkaroli Baba and what happened, etc. Yes. Uh, it's, it's quite a, a book. But if you look through the stories, uh, there are so many people who had no words but this one word to describe it in one word. What was that? Home. <laughs> It was like being, I'm home. I mean, it's the first, It was the thing that went in my head, home. Oh, and uh, so that that is certainly a place within ourselves uh, to, uh, as you as you say, use some curiosity about because there yes. is this place, and always, and always. yeah, yeah, always, yeah. always Haviz, going home.
2: Havis has a wonderful poem. Um, First, the fish has to say, there's something not quite right about this camel ride, and I'm feeling so damn thirsty. (laughs) (laughs) So, So we're in this camel ride of this separate self, thinking it is us, and it is not. So let us bring our attention. Let us bring our deep and aware heart to this struggling self, there's not any part of that struggling self that I don't love anymore both inside of myself and in others
1: you know um, what you just said is very moving and I would suggest to people who are listening to this to read this Mary's one of Mary's books because what's in the way is the way is what we've just been talking about but one of the things that I loved about this book and I've seen it in other books Ramdas has done it but not too many other people have done it, which is every so often, fairly regularly through the book, you stop. And there's a little thing there that says, stop reading the book and mm-hmm. now try and experience what I just talked about. Mm-hmm. And Do it. it. It's very dynamic because you can mm-hmm. just gloss over it if you want, but at, at your own peril, because then you're just reading a book. Right. The words are coming in and the storyteller is listening to the book just like you are. And he's yeah. saying things or he or she is saying things like, nah, it's just a book. Yeah. It's yeah. a book. And there are a lot of books, and uh, you know the world is still amazingly messed up, and so are you. And yeah. it's just a book, but you don't let that happen. I really appreciated it because every so often you would just say, "Okay, breathe." Yeah, and it's okay. You know, I mean, it's not just breathe. You do say, "You just read something. Can you can you actually enliven that right now?" This is why I rec- we recommend this book, is because for, for everybody's going through various levels and intensities of suffering and denial and etc. No, you and uh, I aren't. We. You and me aren't. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's true. Ragu and I are just we, we don't. sailing happily through We're it just uh,
0: interviewing people who've gone through it and come out the other side, and we're yeah, just sort
1: we're, of watchers. We're, we're cool. Uh, yeah. no, but seriously, <laughs> uh, Ragu's irony is, is well taken. Um, you know, it, the, the dynamic nature of the book it's like, it's more like being at a lecture and having somebody st- on the stage in front of you stop and say, I'm coming right towards you now. Right. You, right. and I'm going to ask you to do what I just was talking about. do be with me. And you do it. Yes. And you do it. Yes. Yes. And it, it works. It yes. works. Yes. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, Roger knows I'm a bit of a cranky guy about these sort of things. No. You know. No. Uh, you know, we both are actually, you know, there's certain books you read and you go, okay, fine. Uh one is not able to do this with, with your book, Mary, and that's why it's such a blessing. And I, myself, Dave, talking to you out there, and we've done a hundred of these podcasts by now, 100 hours, you know that we're we're not softies here. Uh, you know, we just aren't, Mary. Uh, we, we, we aren't. And I would say to you out there, if you're having a struggle with the struggle, check out this book. And, and relieve yourself of much of that struggle. It's, as you say, it takes a lifetime.
0: How's that but for an endorsement? it got to start somewhere. Right? David's, David's the best, all right? That's a, yeah. a, an endorsement yeah. for, for Mary's book. So we're at the end of our show, as they say. And uh, Mary, we really appreciate you. You're bringing something to the table that is perfectly... Uh, Relatable to everybody, whether they've been like us, you know, we've we've encountered lots of stuff over, over decades or or somebody who's 19 years old and is tuning in right here and now and just. How do I get a little bit more balanced? Let's just start there. You know, how do I deal with, with uh, they would call it their stories, and these spells is a great word. So thank you very much, Mary. Yeah. And, um, obviously, a uh, book is available everywhere. Uh, you can go to Amazon and go through our portal, everybody and uh, pick it up through through there and uh i'm sure it's on kindle i'm sure it's on ibook and um recommend it to your friends because this is something uh of real practicality uh that can help everybody so thank you mary yes thank oh you it's so been
2: much. my joy you guys my joy to dance with you <laughs>
0: all right everybody we'll see you mindrollingpodcast.com or go to mindpodnetwork.com where you can also experience some of our other friends and their mary's friends as well from jack cornfield to ram Dass. so we shall see you next week bye-bye